Hello and welcome to the Deeper Eye podcast. I am Lara Ferris, your host. For many years, I have been passionate about self-improvement. Through this, I have met the best specialists in their field who have given me tools and the courage to pursue a new path. The purpose of this podcast is to share with you everything I have learned through the conversations I have had with these amazing people. I hope these conversations will impact your life as they did to mine. Welcome to episode two of our new series with Andrew Wallace, What Do We Want Our Children to Know? Episode two, we're going to talk about the dynamic of relationships, a big, big subject. Some of the spiritual industry is making millions and billions of dollars trying to sell people how to live the best relationship, how to have the best marriage, how to have the best um, even business partnership. And I just feel in every of these seminars or books or whatever we sell, there is a fundamental thing that is missing that I will ask Andrew to touch on and talk about. It's all the projection we have on our partners and the main fundamental reason on why relationships go wrong. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Andrew Wallace. Thank you for being with us. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. Hi again. And uh, welcome again, everyone, to What Do We Want Our Children to Know series. Today is episode two, and we are calling it the dynamic of relationships. Big, big subjects, Andrew. And I'm sure so many people are very keen on hearing your views on relationships in general. And I know you're going to touch on the projection we have, you know, when we are in a relationship. Why do we attract the people we attract in our lives? Why do we sometimes get stuck on attracting the same kind of people that leads to the exact, exact same outcome? For us, that is not necessarily what we say we are looking for, but yet we do look for the same kind of people in our lives. And a big, big question, Andrew, is why do relationships go wrong? So I'm just going to let you try and give us your view on all of that. And I'll, if that's okay with you, I'll interrupt with some questions if they pop up. Thank you. Yeah, please do. Please do. And, you know, the good news for today is the answer to the questions you just posed are actually incredibly simple. So we'll get to that in a minute. I just want to, um, it is a huge subject, and I just want to say two things by way of introduction. Firstly, that when we talk about relationships, we often tend to think of personal romantic relationships, whether we're in a relationship or not in a relationship, whether we've Mm -hmm. got a partner or not. And a big part of relationships is obviously a a romantic personal relationship. But relationships include our relationship with parents, our relationship Mm -hmm. with siblings, our relationships with teachers, with friends, with authority figures, with work colleagues, etc., etc. And everything, everything that I say today applies equally to all those relationships. So for me, there's no 
fundamental difference in criteria as to the dynamic of a relationship. Obviously, or you would hope, a relationship with a mm-hmm. lover or a partner is more intense than with a work colleague, yeah. but who knows? <laughs> it's like, uh, uh, but fundamentally, what we're going to say uh, applies to all different types of relationships. The, the other thing is that relationships are universal. We're, we're all in relationships all the time, and therefore this is mm-hmm. a big subject. And I think that there are one or two very simple criteria that once we understand these and we're willing to apply them, they cut through so much of the misery and suffering in relationships. And the final thing I want to say is that in my experience, and I'm, I'm in my sixth decade, moving mm-hmm. towards my seventh decade, in my experience, an intimate romantic relationship with another is the most difficult thing of mm-hmm. human experience. Mm-hmm. You know, I've done lots of things in my life, but actually sustaining intimacy or connection with a beloved is the most difficult thing I've ever encountered in this lifetime. And the reason for that, I think, is that creating intimacy and connection with ourselves is the most difficult thing in this lifetime. The, the intimacy and the connection we have with another, whether it be a beloved, a parent, a sibling, a friend, is correlated very directly with the intimacy that we yeah. have with ourselves. So the first thing you mentioned in your introduction, you mentioned projection. And the way all relationships work for all people is that we have a part of ourself that is unseen and that we're unaware of. And, and as we know, Lara, we have a conscious mind, we have a subconscious mind, and we have an unconscious mind. And a lot of our mind or a lot of who we are is completely buried. It's a little bit like the iceberg with a huge amount underneath the surface. And when, when we repress something or we split off from something, we literally don't know it's there. That's the whole point of it. So what we all do in relationship, we split off from a part of ourselves and we project that onto someone else. So if, for example, I'm not comfortable with my own anger, if we've grown up in a family where one or more parents shouted and screamed Mm -hmm. and were Mm -hmm. violent, then it's very difficult to be comfortable with anger. So we split, I split yeah. off from my anger. And by the way, in my family system, I did split off from my anger. And we project that onto someone else. Mm-hmm. And, and guess what? When we project anger onto someone else, we look around for someone who's angry. And so mm-hmm. I find someone who's angry. So you, you found someone that's angry, but that... But that someone, contrary to yourself, for example, in that example, is someone who is able to express his anger. Correct. His or her anger. Correct. And and so the mind isn't stupid. I don't project it onto Mm. somebody who never gets angry. So, for example, in 60 years of my life, I never, ever 
witness or experience either my mother or my father getting angry or shouting. Whereas my wife, they constantly shout at each other. So they're very Mm -hmm. comfortable with anger. And so what I'm saying is that I find the person to Mm -hmm. project it onto is someone who everyone recognizes as being angry. So then it's sort of everyone, it colludes with my projection. In exactly the same way, if I'm not comfortable with being vulnerable or fragile, I split off from my own fragility and I project it onto you and then everyone agrees, oh, Lara's very fragile, she's very vulnerable. And that's Mm -hmm. how the world works. And we might like to think that there's lots of exceptions to that, but what I'm saying very, Mm -hmm. very strongly is I don't think there are any exceptions to that. And there's certain people in public life who are also very, very, they're sponges for projection. So if you look at controversial figures like Donald Trump, like Boris Johnson, like Jacob Rees-Mogg, it always shocks me that the ferocity and the vehemence of the projection onto these people and they maybe they are inauthentic, maybe they are unreliable, whatever they are. But the point is, it's our projection yeah. that we're getting yeah. rid of. Yeah. And and that's how it works. And I don't know if you know, do you know where the expression scapegoat comes from? Yes, of yeah. course. So yes. that's a really good example that, that within Judaism for hundreds of years, thousands of years, um, you know, on one day of the year, everyone put their sin into a goat and then the goat was led not just outside the inner city wall, but outside the outer city wall into the wilderness. So they got rid of all their sin. And that's what we do. That's how we live. And it takes um, a willingness, an effort of will for us to to be willing to be open to that possibility and see how we're denying that in ourselves. It's extraordinary because while you were talking, I was just wondering, and maybe it's not the right time to ask this question, but when we do work on ourselves and we know that part of this work is to become whole and accept the whole of you. So look at your shadows, look at for that, to take that example you gave, look at this suppressed anger and accept it and integrate it in who you truly are. I wonder what kind of partner we attract then. Like, is it, (laughs) it must be. Can I come on to that a little bit later? Because it's it's a great question. And that's exactly how this stuff works. And even, you know, if you look, I always forget, have you got four children or five children? Four. Four. So you've got four children. I've got four children. And and if you look at each one of those, they they grow up with the same father, the same mother, and they develop into individuals. And, and each one of them, their character, they uh, align with or identify with certain characteristics and they exclude other characteristics. And every human being, you know, you, you grew up and you, you leaned into and identified with certain characteristics, including, you know, not being intelligent or not being bright i think you're one of the most intelligent brightest people i know on this planet i genuinely do so you know we lean into certain characteristics whether we see them as negative or positive and and we move away from so other characteristics so i used to be very charming and i denied 
any form of sort of nastiness or unkindness in myself. So all of these characteristics exist. Yeah. And every human consciousness, I don't mean by that pure consciousness that we talked about the other day, but the conscious mind Mm -hmm. identifies with certain characteristics and excludes others. Yeah. And and that's how we develop. Mm -hmm. So the, the second point I want to make, which applies intensely to intimate relationships but it also implies to all other relationships is is one of the most fundamental errors Mm -hmm. and and problems with all relationships is we look to other people to give us something we look to other people Mm -hmm. to complete us in some way so this is particularly true in marriage or partnership and Within many, many traditions, the Judeo-Christian tradition, the wedding service was was often structured. So, you know, man comes together with woman and we complete each other. Mm -hmm. And it could be man comes together with man or woman, it doesn't matter. But the idea is that the other person completes us in some way. And, And this way of thinking in the world is pernicious. It's present. In yeah. every relationship, your children look to you to give them something. Mm-hmm. You look to your children to give you something, to allow you to feel loved or allow you to feel you've done a good job or whatever. Yeah. So we're all looking. We're looking for work colleagues to affirm us or to approve of us. Mm-hmm. And the moment we start to look for another individual yeah. to give us something, we're, we're on a completely flawed and toxic foundation. But that is how most relationships work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My goodness. And so I just want to emphasize that, if I may, you've heard me say this many times before, Lara, but mm-hmm. if you look at all the great religions and spiritual systems, that they all have a character that is the the dark side, whether it's evil or Satan or Lucifer, that there's they all have this dark character. Yeah. And and every tradition that is personified by the lie. Mm-hmm. And even mm-hmm. in the film series, the drama Star Wars, which was based on Jungian archetypes, the people who made Star Wars sat down and actually created the characters around yeah. Jungian archetypes. That Darth Vader is personified by the lie. The character is built on a mm. foundational lie. It's always occurred to me, I think that's quite appropriate, that the, the dark side it starts and weaves its web based on lies. And many, many years ago, 30 years ago, I, I spent yeah. a bit of time thinking about what is the greatest lie of human experience. Yes. And the answer I came up with, I've never changed over the decades. And for me, it's always interesting for people, maybe people who are listening can ask themselves that question and people come up with answers such as fear or greed or a range of things, all of which are very valid. But for me, the greatest lie of human experience is is the idea that something or someone outside of me can make me happy. Uh And I'm just going to say that again. You know, something or someone outside of me can make me happy. So Mm -hmm. I've spent, you know, huge amounts of my life thinking that a new car or a new house or a new partner 
or a new job or something can make me happy. And although I've understood this at a very deep level, if I catch myself on a daily basis, um, there are still thoughts that arise or feelings that arise. I think my wife should make me happy. Yeah, or, and, or you wait for things to happen. Yeah, to make or, you happy. Or, yeah. You know, my wife, who, yeah. who's fifty-six, she she phones her father, who's ninety-two, yeah. and she still gets upset. And I say to her, "You're insane. You should be, you know, incarcerated because you've been." We, should, we all should. You know, I said your father has been utterly consistent for the last sixty years, but you yeah. you keep going to him, and you expect a different result. That's and so actually, true. It's you know, so true. when I hear you say that, it seems so simple to understand. And then, and then we can't do it. I know. And then we can't do it. But yeah. understanding the simplicity of this, you know, yeah. I, I catch myself thinking my wife should make me happy. I absolutely know that my wife cannot make me happy. Yeah. I know that you cannot make yeah. me happy. Yeah. I cannot make my children happy. And once we really understand that, you know, many parents, many people listening to this school call or podcast will mm. will spend endless amounts of time and energy trying to make their children happy. You can't. Yeah. yeah. You can't. Because it's a confuse between giving them a moment of joy with making them happy. That's what I guess we, we are confused with. Like, well, of course, you, you can't even give them a moment of joy because if you sit with your children yeah. and you enter into your own joy, yeah. the choice is still theirs to enter into their joy or to be defiant and to reject you or to scream True. or to... True. So what I'm really saying is... You know, we have all these other expressions, to use it another way. We say, he made me angry, he hurt me, he disrespected me. No one else can make you angry. No one else can disrespect you. And, and there's always a choice. It might not feel like a choice. But if, for example, one of my things is feeling ridiculed or feeling shamed, Mm -hmm. I will regularly, during the course of a month, think, oh, she ridiculed me. But mm -hmm. It's got nothing to do with what she said or what she did. And maybe she did say something nasty, but it's still activating something yeah. that was in me before I ever met that person. Yes, 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 yes. I, I'm, I, I'm so getting it, and I feel such a relief hearing <laughs> you talk about it because you always feel, oh, my God, next time it's going to happen to me, I'm going to remember that. No, you're not. And yet, <laughs> very often, you don't, you no, know, because... Nor do, nor do I. Yeah. And, and this is why it's really important to understand how pernicious and how deep this thought is. So somebody says something and I immediately attack the other person thinking, how dare you say that to me? Mm -hmm. And actually there's the projection and the projection is coming from a lie thinking that she made me feel like that, which she didn't. No, no one can make me feel anything. Yeah. And... Once we begin to understand, we only need to be willing to just open the door a little bit to this mm -hmm. idea, which is completely countercultural, because the society we live in 
reaffirms the dominant zeitgeist, which is, you know, people get offended. We live in a society where people are not allowed to be offended. So somebody's offended by me saying blah, 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 blah. And then we all have to hurry around and change everything so that they're not offended. It's it's bollocks, actually. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It is true how it's becoming now. It's like uh, everything is like proper, unproper, and we lose a bit this uh, natural way of, you know, interacting and behaving with each other. So the, here's, here it comes, that the solution, yeah. the solution to every problem in relationship, mm-hmm. and, and there is no other, the solution is to take responsibility for myself. Yeah. And, and people think they're doing that, but they're not. So let's just explore this a bit, Lara. So yeah. when I feel, you, you know, you and I over the last few months, we felt hurt, we felt abandoned, we felt disrespected, whatever. Yeah. When we feel hurt, the first instinct is to blame someone else. Yeah. And the solution is to say, Ah, okay, I feel hurt. This is a familiar feeling. I I felt hurt like this for years. I always want to blame someone else. I I understand that's a natural thing to do. But actually, I'm going to take responsibility for the hurt I feel. And I'm going to self-soothe. I'm not going to ask anyone else to take responsibility for it. I'm going to self-soothe. And I'm going to be present to myself to resolve that hurt or that feeling of disrespected or that feeling of ridicule, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. And sometimes it can take just the the fact to look at what's the origin of that feeling and just accepting it could be um, sometime enough to... So so the first step is, is just as you said, is to bring awareness to it. Sometimes awareness is enough. Mm-hmm. It's the mm-hmm. moment I'm honest enough. This this is what we refer to as self-honesty. And the yeah. moment we have an awareness is that can sometimes be enough. But a lot yeah. of these, you know, triggers, people talk about triggers. We know when we're triggered. And whenever we're triggered, it's an old wound. Even yeah. if we've been in a marriage for 23 years and our, our, our spouse says the same old thing, they're activating an old wound that existed before we even met our spouse. And once we really understand that, it's sort of game over. It still requires a lot of discipline, daily discipline. But we keep coming back to that simple point. And look around the world and look at how every society is blaming someone else. Yeah, yeah. And and so this is causing an enormous amount of human suffering and misery. Even if you think of the poverty in the world, everyone wants to blame someone else for that. Look at the wars or the conflict in the world. Every group wants to blame someone else. So um, it's a very simple and very powerful solution. But So when we talk about the dynamic of relationship. First of all, it's understanding that in all relationships, we project our shit, we project our shadow onto other people. Yeah. And, and, and secondly, is we were not taking responsibility for the fact that these are, are our old patterns, our old feelings. Yeah. 
So when you let you know that, you know, you're with a partner or uh, we're talking relationships in general, right? It can be your, your uh, business partner or your, or, or are we specifically talking about um, like emotional relationships? No, no, all relationships. All so relationships. This goes on between business partners all the time. Yeah, I, that's what I, I, I mean, I'm recognizing, you know, because you hear stories of situations happening around you and it, it's very similar to, uh, you know, relationship between a couple like all, um, that have decided to build a future together. And then there is a honeymoon period at the beginning. Like it's crazy how <laughs> the person that you meet, you feel for a bit that it's the absolute best thing that has happened to you in your life. And in some cases, years later, it's the worst thing that is <laughs> happening to you. Yeah. So it's very, very puzzling, you know. And of course, all these things you said made it a bit more logic and explains a lot. Both of those things are true. It is the yeah. best thing and it is the worst thing. But just... Just before we come to that, let me just explain one thing from my own experience, which yeah. I think will help this understanding in, in a work setting. So the, the most difficult relationship in my life was with my father. It was, it was a very difficult, very painful mm. relationship over four or five decades. Yeah. So when I went into the workplace, I had a very particular and troubled relationship with authority figures because the father in the family system, particularly when I grew up, represented authority. So I had a mm -hmm. lot of male bosses and one in particular that I always got emotional with and I, I used to fight with. And this is a very familiar pattern for a lot of people. So some people spend their life fighting organizations or um, big companies. And again, very often there's a projection onto these organizations or onto these bosses that comes yeah. from my experience of the father in the family system. And, I, you know, even now, Lara, I've worked through a huge amount of this stuff, but I, I, if authority figures start telling me what to do and denying yeah. my experience, I feel the agitation in me. Mm. And if I allow that to continue, you know, it won't be long before I'm raging at this poor person <laughs> who, yeah. Who, yeah. who might be controlling and might be, I'm not saying, but what they're about to get from me is, is 40, 50 years old. It's not yeah. dumping it on them is not the solution. And, yeah, you know, yeah. if that was a solution, I'd still be doing it, but it's not. Sure, sure. It's, it makes so much sense. It makes so much sense. And yet the suffering is there and, you know, more suffering sometimes leads to getting a bit more introvert, you know, mm. like... A another example, and then we'll move on to relationship, but, you know, I'm a parent, you're a parent, many people listening to this will be parents... If as a parent, we're really, really honest with ourselves, mm. you know, many times in bringing up our children, the child did something and then did it again. And we overreact by screaming at the mm. child. Yeah. 
Now, when that happens, when we're screaming, it's not really, I would say screaming at anyone is abusive, but particularly, you know, to a child, yeah. an adult is like a 28-foot giant. Yeah. And, so and you've got this 28-foot giant screaming at this little person. Yeah. And, and actually it's got nothing to do with, yes, they spilt some juice on the carpet or, yes, they did the mm. one thing I asked them not to. But actually it's old, old baggage that we're dumping on our children. And we all do that. I've done that. Yeah. And part of this process of growth is just being honest that we're, we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. understanding the dynamic of that relationship. Yeah. And equally... One of my three daughters grew up thinking I love the other two more than her. Yeah. And that's been a pattern for her. I don't take responsibility for that because it's not true for me. So it's yeah. not about it's not about just giving in to the child's reality. It's about just being true to yourself and saying, Yes, I project things onto you, but you project things onto me as well, you know. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and once you've got two people that are willing to acknowledge that the basic dynamic of relationship is we're both projecting onto each other all the time and and we're willing to take the projection back and to share the the truth of our vulnerability, then you've got a whole new ball game. Totally. I mean, talk about wanting to to let our children know something extremely useful in life. That would be for me like number one to keep reminding them exactly yeah so let's just it's a very good um um uh sequel not sequel it's a very good uh link to what you were asking before about relationships so what happens Mm -hmm. is particularly in the west and we'll come back to different cultural experiences Mm -hmm. you know the west is essentially based on romantic love we have all the fairy stories we have the um the hollywood films the literature you know boy meets yeah. girl boy meets boy girl yeah. meets girl they fall in love now what many people have said is falling in love is pathological narcissism mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and what they mean by that we, most of us have had the experience of falling in love when we fall in love, and you described it brilliantly, you think it's the best thing in my life, yeah. I didn't know this was possible, and, you know, that happened to me 12 years mm-hmm. ago when I fell mm-hmm. in love with my wife. Yeah. It's the most wonderful feeling. Yeah. And what's happening at that time is we are not meeting the person in front of us at all. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what happens, and actually Jung described it very well, that I have within me, every man has an ideal anima, which is the ideal feminine. And every woman has in their unconscious the ideal animus, the masculine. And what happens when we fall in love, I project my ideal feminine onto Uh the woman, or if you're in a same-sex relationship, obviously you're, you know. But, But I project my anima onto this woman and I fall in love with it because it's my projection and she's doing the same thing. And, you know, what's interesting, you can fall in love for a period of of, of three weeks or three months or three years. Three years is unusual, but you can, I've known people who've done that, Mm -hmm. but, but eventually you break the trance and it is like being in a trance because Mm -hmm. you're not really 
relating to the other person. You're relating to a projection of your own fantasy. And in 1984, there was a very profound book written by a psychiatrist called Scott Peck, P-E-C-K, mm-hmm. called mm-hmm. The Road Less Traveled. It's a brilliant book. And, yeah. and there's, there's three chapters on love in that book, and, and it's well worth reading again. But mm-hmm. he says it's impossible to start loving someone until you fall out of love. So we all need to fall out of love to then start loving the other person. So the first phase is what you described as it feels like the best experience imaginable. And everyone is looking for that. And by the way, it's very similar to a drug. So some people become addicted to falling in love. They fall in love and when it wears off, they look for the next one. Then they fall in love again. That wears off. They look for the next one. And that's their pattern. Yeah. And each time they fall in love, they create a little bit of their fantasy in their mind. Right, I, about I, that well, I, I, I would say it's a huge amount of their fantasy, not a yeah, little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. huge part of their fantasy, which we all do, mm-hmm. and we project it onto the person in front of us. So the second stage of all relationship is, I think, you know, the worst thing that happens to you. I remember in my case, you know, my wife regularly said to me, I wish I never met you. It's the worst thing. I, marrying you is the worst thing I ever did. And vice versa. And what happens in the second phase is the trance wears off and you encounter, not only do you encounter the person in front of you, but you encounter all the worst bits of them because my insecurities come up and I start reacting for my insecurities. I might start being controlling. The other person might start being controlling. And it's a battleground. Okay, so basically your image of who you are with becomes a bit clearer and um, the fantasy wears off, right? In most of cases, of course. Exactly. I mean, some, some cases maybe are different. And, and what I would say is not only do you encounter the person as they actually are, but you encounter the worst bits of them. Because mm-hmm. both at that stage, first of all, you feel slightly cheated. You think, oh, my God, I, I fell in love with this goddess and suddenly she's a deranged bitch. And you know, it's like, oh, my God, what happened? You know, And she's thinking, oh, I and, fell in, yes, I fell in exactly. love with this handsome white knight, and all of a sudden he's a controlling, miserable, yes. aggressive brute, you know? Yeah, okay. Just I, I know you, you haven't finished talking, but I have to ask you before. It, I've just come back from a beautiful wedding in Lebanon where my gorgeous niece and uh, her husband you know just got married so if they ever listen to this yeah, what yeah. can you i don't want to uh, scare them what would you suggest like for me for example if i i can go back i would say what i should have done and we should have done in for example my marriage it's set very clear specific uh, you know, uh, what? what's the word? Like intention, not intention, but uh, what am I expecting? Like yes. expectations. Like this is what I'm willing, What this is what I'm not willing. Is it reasonable to think that way or to... Yes. To... So just let's continue yeah. along okay. this vein because I think it will give you the answer you're looking mm-hmm. for. So most people in my experience are not willing to really work through that second phase 
because okay. what happens is they don't want to beat each other up. They don't want to say nasty things to each other. So basically a lot of stuff gets repressed. Mm. And most relationships, in my experience, operate on a kind of arrangement basis. There's a lack of intimacy yeah. because it's been shut down. It's been, you know, it's too volatile. It's too difficult. So we close it down and then we function or the relationship appears to function, but there's no intimacy because all the real stuff in us that, that was coming up, we've pushed back down again. Yeah? Yeah. If you're willing to go through the, and I'll, I'll tell you an interesting thing in a minute, yeah. but if you're willing to go to that second phase, then the third phase is what we could call integration or true intimacy where you're willing to encounter the best bits and the worst bits and all of it. You're, you're willing to say, okay, whatever is there will encounter it. Now, the link between the second phase and the third phase is exactly as we talked about earlier. It's taking responsibility. So instead of beating my wife up or instead of saying, you didn't meet my needs or you abandoned me or you ridiculed me, it's taking that back, yeah. taking responsibility for it and say, this is incredibly painful. Let's move through this together. But with both of us taking responsibility for our hurt and our wound that existed before we ever met each other. Yeah, wow. So what I would say to your niece mm. in uh, Lebanon who got married, I say, look, this is the basic framework of intimate relationships you you fall in love and you see the best bits that's fantasy then all the difficult bits come up most people don't want to go there so hang in let it come up and take responsibility for it and then move into the third phase which is true intimacy and one of the things i'm not advocating this for anyone else but one of the things that my wife and i did because we're rather extreme is in the middle of that second phase when things were very difficult yeah we went back to florence where we got married and one evening in the hotel we we had a ritual yeah. where we told each other all the things we hated about each other all the things that we couldn't stand about each other all the projections and then we married we married the nasty shadow side of her to the nasty shadow side of me so it was an intention, you know, it's a little bit like in, in the marriage vows, isn't it? We say, you know, in, in I can't remember what they are, in, in healthness and sickness, in good, in yes, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. So we sort of say this, that we, we marry the best of you and the worst of you. And, and we don't even hear we saying this in the church or wherever no. we, we get married. I mean, it's crazy how, how it's not taken seriously. You know, I, I mean, for most people, I'm sure. Well, I many... think I think it's easier to apply this. So let's just consider yeah. for a moment health issues. I, I know some amazing people where their spouse contracted a serious health issue and they stood by them and nursed them. And I can think of one couple at the moment where this woman, her husband is dying and, and they have have discovered the most amazing intimacy with each other. Yeah. So when the condition is physical, mm. if our spouse gets cancer or something like that, it's somehow easier 
to be present to that. But when it's emotional and we've got old wounds coming up, emotional wounds that freak us out. And, you know, the problem with these old wounds is they are very strong. If you look at children, if you imagine a child of two, three, four, five, you know, they're happily playing away, lost in play, completely happy. And another child comes into the room and picks up a toy that they didn't even know they had. And they go hysterical. It's like Mm. the end of the world has come. And, and, you know, and and they are furious. There's this rage. And then they start crying and they get upset. And it's like, you know, um, they lost everything that was important to them. And then they're laughing again. Mm-hmm. And this is what, you know, you and I are 40, 50, 60-year-old adults mm-hmm. walking around with a wounded child in us reacting like that to our partners or our loved ones or our children. Yeah, only, and- only The only difference is for us it stays like there is a, a consequence each time we do that because it's not seen as being normal. And that's, I think, the, the tragedy is if we all accept that this, these feelings are, it's normal that they surge up and they, they are felt and then we move on. Do you yeah, know what I'm trying I, to I say? I do. And yeah. the key, I think the key is twofold. You're right. Most people enter into marriage or relationship with some completely flawed expectations based yeah. upon the culture, the zeitgeist we live in, which is based on romantic love. So so let me give you another example. I remember I've been saying this for 30 years, and whenever I say it, I always imagine that people misunderstand what I'm saying, which is fine. But, But I've been saying for 30 years that I think arranged marriage is a much better model for marriage than the marriage we have in the West. And what I mean by that is I'm not talking about abusive arranged marriage. But but if you take a situation where a man and a woman come together and they've never met each other and base, the basic premise or expectation is how do I learn to love this person? Mm-hmm. That's what happens. So for me, you know, if you and I came together in an arranged marriage, I would have to say, how do I learn to love this person? Now, that is a much more mature and realistic version of any relationship. Let's, let's just stay there for one second. If you are in an arranged marriage, then you, you don't build your dreams that you invented about that person. Or do you, do you think? Well, you see, dreams are dangerous, aren't they? On the one hand, we have all these people on social media telling us to live our dream and blah, yeah. blah, blah. But, yeah. but you know... Um, Having a dream, which is another word for a fantasy of living happily ever after, is going to create mm. immense misery and suffering. So to me, the, the, the way to have the dream is to understand the inner dynamic of relationship. So it's to understand that it's difficult for me to have intimacy with myself because there's a lot of things I've repressed in myself from being physically beaten as a child to being emotionally abused to being this 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 and my willingness or my commitment to myself is to say okay i'm willing to work through those um areas because i want more connection more intimacy with myself and as i develop 
more connection and more intimacy with myself, I will create more intimacy with my friends, with my children, with my work colleagues, and with my beloved. Yeah. And that, to me, that's the only framework that makes sense. And very few people do that. Most people say, I want to find someone that makes me feel happy or makes me yeah. feel, well, that's yeah. a drug. Go, go and take heroin or take care of cocaine because that would be more effective. But the problem with those drugs, as people know, is eventually they end up causing more suffering than highs anyway. So um, as, as the Verve song goes, the drugs don't work anymore. But that's what people are looking for. They're looking for a drug. And a quick, good feeling effect, you know, and they... And I've, you know, I've talked to my wife in those terms where every time she phones her father and she's disappointed, I said, well, you, you're looking for another hit of heroin. That's, that's the dynamic of the relationship. And by the way, I was the same with my father. I, <laughs> you know, I, I went back time and time again expecting or wanting him to be different and he wasn't and it's you you spoke to me i i think we discussed some some time ago michael singer's teaching about stop wanting to change what is like yes. it's part of yes and i think i don't know if i'm i'm right to say that but to take anna's example and so many other people who keep being disappointed by the same situation that keeps coming back is because each time we do the call, we live an experience, and we deep down ourselves are praying for it to give us a different outcome because we don't want what is. But I wonder if we sink in truly in this acceptance of what is, if we would even feel the pain anymore. So there's two things that are going on. You're absolutely right. Yeah. There's two things that are going on, and I'll, I'll use myself rather than my wife because it's healthier. But, but so what I'm doing is I'm going to my father with a mistaken belief that I need something from him. I need, some, I need his affection or I need his love or I need his um, uh, approval. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and that's flawed. I don't. Yeah. You know, I already have everything... I need, as the 23rd Psalm says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Yeah, yeah. The truth is, I lack nothing. Yeah. So it's flawed to go to someone wanting something from them. And then the second thing is I've already made my mind up how I want them to behave towards me. So one of the ways somebody once put this, and it's, it's, it's a little bit brutal and a little bit extreme, Yeah. But if we were honest with ourselves, Lara, we, we, mm. we go through our lives and we have a script for how other people, what they should say, what they shouldn't say, what they should do, what they shouldn't do. And in, in the workplace, in our families, and I had the feeling recently with one of my children that, that I felt you shouldn't speak to me like that. Mm. You know, I felt disrespected. And I'd apply the same philosophy that actually – It's not my business to control what other, how other people live. How they are and how they... I can choose, yeah. you know, if you consistently offend me or if you mm. consistently say things mm. that I feel ridiculed, I can choose not to spend time with you. Yeah. 
But actually, the gift of that is to say, this person is presenting me with a mirror, with an opportunity to heal something within myself. And I've, I've had the experience many, many times where I've healed something in myself and the same people or different people come up and do or say the same thing and I smile inside. It's gone. Hmm. That's crazy. It's amazing. I just love it. So basically, just to take your latest example, somebody talks to you in a way that is very unpleasant, unacceptable to you. Instead of doing a tragedy around it with that person, you take your own decision to decide to not accept that anymore. And this is the healing in itself. This is the lesson. This is the gift that they have given you to empower yourself, to decide, take a firm decision to not let this happen again, but not by wanting to change them, just by you not accepting it anymore. Well, it, yes, that, that's true. And actually what's happening is I'm moving from a place of not accepting it within myself to accepting it. So if, for example, yeah. you know, somebody that we had callers or something, somebody called up and said, who the hell do you think you are? creating podcasts or talking about relationships, you're full of shit and you're a charlatan, blah, blah, blah. I can honestly say that wouldn't affect me. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it's like, well, you know, thank you for sharing and that's how you feel and <laughs> I'm sure they'll go on and share that with other people. Yeah. But but something like that wouldn't affect me. So it's it's not unacceptable to me. It You know, right at the beginning, it's not unacceptable. If it was a call-in program or something and they were taking up too much time, I might say, okay, thank you very much. Let's give someone else a chance. And so, it, you know, we, we all know there are many situations in life and where we are comfortable, we're secure in ourself about yeah. our position. And so what other people say, we, we intuitively know that what they're saying is not about me, it's about them. Yeah. And and if you take that example of something that is really upsetting you, triggering you, and you find it unacceptable, the same way of action would be the same to empower yourself and reach a stage where you don't feel this unacceptance. You just realize that this is their problem, not yours. Yeah. It's, it's like an angel or a therapist yeah. coming to you and saying, look, this is your next area to work through, or this is your next area to heal. So yeah. in, instead of, you know, um, getting really upset and angry, which I, I'm sure I would do, and, and think their behavior is unacceptable, it's saying, oh, my God, I don't want to continue living my life being affected to such a strong degree by comments like that. So yeah. it all comes back to responsibility. And even in extreme cases... You know, where suppose you're in a cafe having a nice cup of tea and someone comes up and starts shouting at you or shouting abuse. It's unpleasant. It's really unpleasant. But actually, there are many times when that I'd be relatively unaffected by that, be a little bit of a shock, but you'd go back to enjoying yourself. But if I'd grown up with a very abusive, violent family, parents, Yeah. That would be traumatized. It would re-traumatize me and I could sue them and hold them responsible, but it wouldn't change the fact 
that I'm walking around in a body where I've got a trauma about loud noise or people shouting at me. That's what I want to change. Yeah, I understand. And something you asked earlier, Lara, I don't know if we've got time for this, but you asked, why is it that we're attracted to some people and not other people? Yes, that is a big mystery. And we've all had the experience, I think. I've walked into a room, a, a social function with 130 people, and some people might flirt with me, surprisingly. And, um, <laughs> you know, I've got no interest at all. And then there's one person there that I feel emotionally drawn into. Yeah. And as we know, that the, the vast majority of people I meet, I don't form a relationship with them. And then there's a very small number of people that you yeah. do form a relationship with. And what we know is the person we form a relationship with is ideally matched to our personal transformational, personal growth experience. So if uh, you can always edit this afterwards, but if I could use you as an example, you know, you grow up with an inner wound about intelligence and wisdom Mm -hmm. and being. Mm -hmm. So what you do, you marry a man that consistently tells you that he's much cleverer than you and you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, And it's seeing that as perfect as that is the opportunity and it's the same for all of us most people marry or get together with people that will aggravate the most sensitive part of themselves why because it gives them an opportunity to heal it and that for me it is the wisdom and brilliance of relationship A, a romantic relationship is the best therapy in the world it'll bring everything up quickly it's incredible. Yeah. And it's the best gift, for example, to, yeah, because... to be reminded every day of what you are heal, what you are here to heal and to realize is is a fantasy, is not true. Yeah. Because who who I mean, you know, all this thing I grew up feeling that, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, I'm I my opinion doesn't matter, no time for me, I just have to follow whatever is and it's not true. It's what I believed at that time. And I grew up consolidating this belief until it became my reality. Yeah. And then you're the only person that keeps carrying it forward. So, yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm the same. It's like, you know, we have stories. And I often say to people, well, you're the only person keeping that story alive. You know, I had a story about my father that nobody else was interested in, and I kept it alive for, for years and years and years. And uh, because it's all about what we want our children to know, I just would like to also insist that, you know, wh- where you're at is the place from where you're going attract, as you talked yesterday about the uh, the the very close interaction between the inner and the outer world, the outer world will respond to where you are inside of you. So if you believe these things that are completely not true, this is what the outer world is going to respond to you by sending you more of it. Exactly. So it's a little bit, I always imagine it like a a radio signal. It's it's an old-fashioned radio valve. You twiddle a dial and suddenly you align, or like um, a sky dish. People now have sky dishes, and it aligns so that it lines up. 
And so if I've got an inner wound that says, my opinion doesn't matter, I don't really understand, blah, 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 I attract all the people that will affirm that to me. Mm -hmm. And if I feel I'm not lovable, then again, I'll attract people into my awareness field or I'll have relationships with people that think, no, you're you're not lovable, you're you're a horrible person. So that's how it develops. And the obvious, you know, um, I've actually got a friend of mine whose father was a, a chronic alcoholic and she nursed him in the last few months of his life. And then she had three children with an alcoholic who abandoned her. And then she met another alcoholic, had two more children, blah, blah. And she phoned me one day and she said, oh, my God, I've fallen in love. And this guy doesn't drink. And I'm I'm the luckiest woman on the planet. And we went away for the weekend and we went camping and blah, blah, blah. And five months later, she phoned me up in tears and she couldn't stop sobbing. And she said, he's an alcoholic. And it's back to the expectation that we we sometimes imagine that we get into early adult life and we go and have 10 years of therapy and then we meet the perfect person or we work Mm. through all our issues. It, It never works like that. What happens is we meet someone. And then all the stuff comes up and we work through the issues with that person. That's what relationship is. It's the same with a parent, with a sibling. There's lots of issues between siblings. And we either work through them or we bury them because it's too painful or too difficult. Wow. Incredible. I love that. Thank you so much, Andrew. That was very insightful. I mean, I just really feel that I've understood a bit more about relationships and it's lots of excitement because you when you hear all of this you have a hope that you're going to do differently in your life and I hope that it's the same uh, feeling for everyone who's listening I look forward to episode three and um, lots of love to you Andrew thank you thank you That was fascinating. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope all these tips from Andrew Wallace will be very useful for your relationships, whether it's the present one or a future one. And I hope it shed some lights on what and why did things go wrong in your previous ones, if it did. Please, please share this conversation with as many people as you can. I think everyone could benefit from it. I really, truly look forward for episode three with Andrew Wallace, which will be, what is love? Love is a big world, very misunderstood, very lightly used. And I know that from, I know because from previous conversation I had with Andrew about this subject, that you will all find it very interesting and very useful. See you very soon and thank you for listening.